0: My Mother Immaculate Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Today we commemorate the Archangels Saints Michael, Gabriel, and Raphael, spiritual messengers and servants of God. Let's invoke their intercession in our prayer before Christ our Lord, who is the centre of the angelic world and who at the same time is so close to you and me. On Sundays and Holy Days, we usually recite the Nicene Creed. Recitation or vocal prayer, in a sense, is something we do so fast that it's hard to take in what we're saying, even as we say it even as we profess that we believe in the three persons, in the one God, three persons who are the one God, indeed, on deeper reflection, we might in all honesty admit that it is hard to give our full attention to every aspect of each one of the three persons whom we profess to believe in. Think, for example, of God the Father. What do we say about him? I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. God is Father. God is Almighty. God the Almighty Father is maker of heaven and earth. The earth bit I get because I can see, hear, and touch evidence of it all around me because it is visible, audible, Tangible, but the heaven part, well, then I have not yet seen or heard or touched. I take it on faith. God the Father Almighty has made all things visible and invisible. There is a whole invisible world out there, or up there, (laughs) words fail to describe its location, that escapes detection by my eyes, by my ears. By any of my external senses, I take it on faith because it's what I've been taught to believe, but don't ask me to explain it. It's a mystery. The topic of our meditation today, the, the angelic world, specifically the archangels, Saints Michael, Gabriel, and Raphael, is indeed a mystery. Theologically speaking, a mystery is a truth of faith that one gets to know only because God reveals it. But even though I accept a particular mystery as true, it still eludes precise definition. I was stopped in my tracks recently by a child who, in his father's presence, started pumping me for answers after I'd baptized his younger sibling kind of one of those awkward sort of conversations that you have that spring up out of nowhere. I'm sure every family comes across it from time to time. Um, And he certainly got enough um, material to serve as material to base his questions on because, well, within a baptism, there is a huge amount of doctrinal content, you know, the whole business of original sin and redemption and God and God's son and we're being made children of God well whereas you and I might be embarrassed to ask kids come straight out with the deepest questions where is God when did God die you say he's invisible is he like a ghost then none of these questions is easy to answer In talking about the Son of God's Jesus' death on the cross, and then his resurrection, we are taking a lot of steps all at once. We believe, of course, that Jesus is really and substantially present with us now in the Blessed Eucharist. But going one or two steps back, before Jesus came on earth, he was God. He was with God in the beginning, with God the Father, God the Creator— He was with God, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. The church teaches that this is true, that angels exist and that Christ is the centre of the angelic world. Here's what the Catechism of the Catholic Church says. The existence of the spiritual Non-corporeal beings that sacred scripture usually calls angels is a truth of faith. The witness of scripture is as clear as the unanimity of tradition. And the Catechism goes on to teach that angels have been present since creation and throughout the history of salvation, announcing this salvation from afar or near and serving the accomplishment of the divine plan. They closed the earthly paradise, protected Lot, saved Hagar and her child, stayed Abraham's hand, communicated the law by their ministry, led the people of God, announced births and callings, and assisted the prophets just to cite a few examples, and they give quite a few there. And finally, the The angel Gabriel announced the birth of the precursor and that of Jesus himself. The precursor, of course, being John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. Although the catechism doesn't say it, traditionally the angel Gabriel is referred to as an archangel on the basis, one might suppose, that angels bearing messages, messages of greater importance are ranked higher in the order of angels. Some say that the archangels are leaders among the other angels. Be that as it may, what the Catechism does say about angels is worth reflecting on. From the incarnation to the ascension, the life of the word incarnate is surrounded by the adoration and service of angels. When God brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Hebrews chapter 1. Their song of praise at the birth of Christ has not ceased resounding in the church's praise. Glory to God in the highest. Those words uttered by the angels at Jesus' birth we use on feast days and Sundays in our Eucharistic liturgy. The angels protect Jesus in his infancy, serve him in the desert, strengthen him in his agony in the garden when he could have been saved by them from the hands of his enemies as Israel had been. Again, it is the angels who evangelize by proclaiming the good news of Christ's incarnation and resurrection. They will, the catechism says, be present at Christ's return, which they will announce to serve at his judgment. Speaking at Oxford University some years ago, the late Cardinal Pell remarked, In our age... We are generally not good at feeling awe when confronted by an invisible spiritual God, as we are more used to reserving our awe for the material wonders of contemporary science, technology, or medicine. That's a big mistake, one we can easily and perhaps often have fallen into. You know, doctors and medical experts, they're really on a pedestal, scientists. You know, we've all heard of the oracles of science, you know, um, men, women who pronounce on issues maybe metaphysical as well as physical based on their authority in their particular domains. But it's interesting that uh, sometimes we lose sight of the fact that not everything can be explained by reason and science alone. Another great man of the church who made Oxford his home for many years is St. John Henry Newman. In a sermon on the feast of St. Michael, he stated, There have been ages of the world in which men have thought too much of angels and paid them excessive honour, honoured them so perversely as to forget the supreme worship due to Almighty God. This is the sin of a dark age. The sin of what is called an educated age, such as our own, is just the reverse. To account slightly of them, or not at all. The danger, that is, of resting in things seen, and forgetting unseen things, and our ignorance about them. The preface to the Eucharistic prayer for today's feast helps us understand how angels reflect God's glory rather than compete with it. It is truly right and just, Lord, Holy Father, to praise you without end in your archangels and angels. For the honour we pay the angelic creatures in whom you delight, redounds to your own surpassing glory, and by their great dignity and splendour you show how infinitely great you are, to be exalted above all things through Christ our Lord. So much is true of the heavenly host. What about nature? To Newman, nature, visible created reality, is not as inanimate as it may seem, for he argues, We know that it is the spirit in man and in beast that makes man and beast move. But reason tells us of no spirit abiding in what is commonly called the natural world, to make it perform its ordinary duties. Of course, it is God's will which sustains it all. So does God's will enable us to move also? Yet this does not hinder, but in one sense we may be truly said to move ourselves. But how do the wind and water, earth and fire move? Now here scripture interposes and seems to tell us that all this wonderful harmony is the work of angels. Those events which we ascribe to chance as the weather or to nature as the seasons are duties done to that God who maketh his angels to be winds and his ministers a flame of fire. For example, it was an angel which gave to the pool at Bethesda its medicinal quality, and there is no reason why we should doubt that other health springs in this and other countries are made such by alike unseen ministry. The fires on Mount Sinai, the thunders and lightnings were the work of angels, and in the Apocalypse we read of the angels restraining the four winds. Works of vengeance are likewise attributed to them. The fiery lava of the volcanoes, which, as it appears, was the cause of Sodom and Gomorrah's ruin, was caused by the two angels who rescued Lot. The hosts of Sennacherib were destroyed by an angel by means, it is supposed, of a suffocating wind. The pestilence in Israel, when David numbered the people, was the work of an angel. The earthquake at the resurrection was the work of an angel. And in the apocalypse, the earth is smitten in various ways by angels of vengeance. So says Cardinal John Henry. The last book of the Bible is indeed full of angels. Think of the first reading from today's Mass. While in the Old Testament the archangel St. Michael is presented as the one who, on God's behalf, defends the chosen people from danger, in the New Testament, in the book of Revelation, we are told of his war against the forces of evil. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they were defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. One of the first consequences of Christ's victory is the defeat of the devil. And this archangel is the one entrusted with carrying this out. Michael means, who is like God? Hence, St. Gregory the Great writes, when a mission requires special power, Michael is sent, implying by his actions and his name that no one can do what only God can do. Entrusting a mission to St. Michael is the same as saying that only God can do it. As Pope Francis has said, St. Michael wins because it is God who acts in him. The account in Genesis of Abraham's being asked by God to sacrifice his only son Isaac seems odd. As Cardinal George Pell puts it, I find it difficult to understand how God could have commanded or requested Abraham to kill his innocent son, even in a sacrifice to God himself. As we have already noted, of course, an angel stayed Abraham's hand and God provided him with a ram for sacrifice instead. According to the Australian prelate, we do not have the same problems with our Lord's sacrificial death because the father did not kill his son. However, he adds, it is also clear that good will never triumph and faith will not survive if selfish or overprotective fathers successfully prevent their sons and daughters from entering into the age-old struggle between good and evil, because they fear the wounds and hurt their children will suffer. We cannot avoid suffering in this world, but nor should we face it alone. Saint Josemaria, the founder of Opus Dei, told a group of his spiritual children, "None of you is alone. None of you is an isolated verse. We are verses in the same epic, divine poem. We all form part of the body of Christ, which is the Church. Today." we can ask this archangel, prince of the heavenly hosts, to watch over all men and women, to defend us in battle and protect us from the snares of the devil. And we can do so with the certainty of victory, for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. Intensifying our relationship with St. Michael will increase our faith in God's power and make us more humble. And it will help us to identify ourselves ever more fully with his own name. All my bones will exclaim, Who is like you, O Lord? As Psalm 35 puts it. The Catechism of the Catholic Church teaches that with their whole being, the angels are servants and messengers of God. Their entire being is dedicated to serving. The angels exist in order to joyfully cooperate with God and transmit his designs to men. And among all these messengers, Gabriel stands out. His name means, God is my strength. We see him being sent as God's ambassador on several occasions, to communicate the divine plan of salvation and to encourage those being invited to carry it out. I am Gabriel, the angel says to Zechariah, who stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. In the Old Testament, the archangel Gabriel brought a message to the prophet Daniel. He came to me. In swift flight, at the time of the evening sacrifice, he came and he said to me, O Daniel, I have now come to give you wisdom and understanding. St. Luke recounts that when the Virgin Mary was startled to hear the archangel's greetings, she was told, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. What humility from Mary, who was, of course, conceived immaculate. She had no reason to have any shame or fear before God or his angels. Gabriel attains from God the consoling words needed to confront difficult situations in a serene and hopeful way. Also, when what he is communicating seems to exceed our own capacities, as at the moment of the Annunciation. In Mary's case, he reminds us that with God, nothing will be impossible. And he can always help us greatly in our struggles. It looks as if the whole world is coming down on top of you. Saint Jose Maria wrote, Whichever way you turn, you find no way out. This time it is impossible to overcome the difficulties. But have you again forgotten that God is your Father, all-powerful, infinitely wise, full of mercy? He would never send you anything that is evil. That thing that is worrying you, it's good for you, even even though those earthbound eyes of yours may not be able to see it now. The Archangel Gabriel announces God's will and helps us understand that it can only lead to joy and peace. Even that thing that's worrying you, it too can be good for you. Even though you and I were not used to contemplating the invisible, we, we look at things with earthbound eyes, and, and thus we don't see it. We, we're not capable of seeing it now, but, you know, in time. God who is infinitely wise, all-powerful, full of mercy, he is sending us, perhaps, little contradictions that will help us mature by challenging us to trust more in God and less in ourselves. And when we do trust more in God, as the Archangel Gabriel encourages us to do, well, then, then we have joy and we have peace. Tobit and his wife, were worried about sending their young son, Tobias, alone on a hazardous journey to a distant city. Then a cheerful young man suddenly appeared, ready to accompany him. I will go with you. I am familiar with the way. It was the archangel, St. Raphael. He accompanied young Tobias, teaching him to learn from the challenges they confronted on the way. St. Raphael encouraged him to overcome the fears that prevented him from embarking on the adventure of marriage with Sarah. Hers seemed to be quite a complicated background, but St. Raphael said, stick with it. Don't give up on her. Don't give up on God's providence. He taught Tobias to love his future wife and helped him to be the joy of his parents. Because of the help that the archangel Saint Raphael provided to Tobias, Saint Maria entrusted the apostolic work of Opus Dei with young people to him. He viewed this part of Opus Dei's apostolate as the apple of his eye, since the Christian formation of young people is a priority in the church and in the work. Future generations will also be eager to receive the same gift that has brought us such great peace. All Christians are called to carry out this mission in order to be sowers of the joy of the gospel. We are invited to help many young people so that, as the prelate of Opus Dei, Monsignor Fernando Ocaris puts it, they may be, now and for the rest of their lives, Christian leaven in families, jobs, and the whole of the immense field of human life in the middle of the world. Pope Francis reassures us we are not alone on our journey or in the trials of life. We are accompanied and supported by the angels of God who offer, so to speak, their wings to help us overcome so many dangers in order to fly high compared to those realities that can weigh down our lives or drag us down. The Catechism teaches it. From its beginning until death, human life is surrounded by their watchful care and intercession. Beside each believer stands an angel as protector and shepherd, leading him to life. Already here on earth, the Christian life shares by faith in the blessed company of angels and men united in God. Great saints of the church, such as John Henry Newman, have taught that God shares his heavenly home with us even while we are still wayfaring on earth. Our Lord Jesus Christ, says Newman, after ascending on high, left not the world as he found it, but left a blessing behind him. He left in the world what before was not in it, a secret home for faith and love to enjoy, wherever found, in spite of the world around us. This is the Church of God, which is our true home of God's providing, his own heavenly court, where he dwells with saints and angels. Though thou art in a body of flesh, a member of this world, thou hast but to kneel down reverently in prayer, and thou art at once in the society of saints and angels. Isn't that a, a comforting thought? To realise that you and I are not on our own. We have not been abandoned by God. No, you and I are surrounded by angels. Angels. As Christians, whenever we put ourselves in the presence of God, well, and even before it, it's our guardian angel is probably prompting us. Did not Jesus say as we read or heard in the gospel for today's liturgy that you know, as Jesus explained to Nathaniel, who was impressed that Jesus had seen him coming from a distance without having been introduced to him. Um, And he said, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus replied, You believe that just because I said I saw you under the fig tree, you will see greater things than that. Then he added, I tell you most solemnly, you will see heaven laid open, and above the Son of Man, the angels of God ascending and descending. Well, that's one of the texts that tends to be quoted in supporting the teaching of the church that we have guardian angels, we're anticipating a bit the feast of next week, but nonetheless, angels. And we say in the opening prayer for today's feast, O God who in marvellous order, ministries both angelic and human, graciously grant that our life on earth may be defended by those who watch over us, as they minister perpetually to you in heaven. This is the liturgy echoing those words of Jesus. And again, in the prayer over the offerings, we offer you a sacrifice of praise, O Lord. Humbly entreating that as these gifts are borne by the ministry of angels into the presence of your majesty, so you may receive them favourably and make them profitable for our salvation. As we await Christ's return at the end of time, when we understand he will come with his saints and angels, the whole life of the church benefits From the mysterious and powerful help of angels, teaches the Catechism. In her liturgy, the Church joins with the angels to adore the thrice holy God. She invokes their assistance in the funeral liturgies. In Paradisum Deducant Te Angeli, may the angels lead you into paradise. Moreover, in the cherubic hymn of the Byzantine liturgy, she celebrates the memory of certain angels more particularly, St. Michael, St. Gabriel, St. Raphael, and the guardian angels. In Psalm 137, which features in today's liturgy also, the psalmist proclaims, I thank you, Lord, with all my heart. You have heard the words of my mouth. In the presence of the angels, I will bless you. I will adore before your holy temple. The three archangels will accompany us throughout our lives until the end of our journey. And then in heaven we will be able to contemplate the face of Our Lady, Queen of Angels. I give you thanks, my God, for the good resolutions, affections and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you for help to put them into effect. My Mother Immaculate, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord,